0: So this morning, the subject we are on is of spiritual renewal. So of renewal. Specifically on our text is how spiritual renewal can be a great tool for the mission in our city. How spiritual renewal can be a great tool for mission for our city. Now, those may be a bit, like, a bit of big words for some of us. Here's what I mean. I mean that when Christians, when us, those who are Christians here this morning, or churches, the community of faith, when we are spiritually renewed, when we are spiritually revived, energized, we have better chances to reach our city for the gospel. In other words, there's a connection There's a coloration between spiritual health, spiritual renewal, and mission. When we are in spiritual slumber, we are automatically in mission slumber as a community. I actually thought about this recently. My wife and I were in Cape Town for a weekend, and I met a friend of mine there that I've known for some years who is in Cape Town. He's been studying there. And he said to me that now and then he, he does some tourists. He, he's like a tourist guide. So people are coming in, he will show them around. And I said to him, why would you do that? Why, why would you, Why isn't there some work of locals, people who've been in Cape Town who grew up here? I think that'd be better for that job. And he said, actually, no. The locals are actually not good on showing people around. They don't really know the city that they were. As much as they know it, they are not really excited about the city. Because they've been there for for years. You said everything is normal for them. The mountain, like okay. The ocean, it's like, I mean, we were going there as kids. Who cares about the ocean? And he says, actually, the locals are not best at selling the city. Now, as a very spir- spiritual person that I am, I started thinking about that. How does that apply into our Christian faith? I thought about actually, for some of us, the more years we've been Christians, the more we become Christians gospel locals. The more years we become Christians, the more we become gospel locals. And there's nothing really to write home about our faith. If you're really honest uh, on ourselves. We're still Christians, we're still here. But what's the big deal about the gospel? We learned that in the youth group years back. We drift towards being gospel locals and actually sharing the faith becomes something that new Christians do. For us, all these, yeah. It's for, it's for people who are new. But now, they'll that actually, that actually say something about our spiritual health. If our spiritual health is not good, it affects mission. Now, besides spiritual help, mission and sharing the faith in itself has become an issue with some Christians. The more I speak to people, especially Christians, some of them, they'll have two responses when you talk about mission and evangelism, and just how do we reach the city. The first one will be, the person will say, I'm a committed Christian, I love the Lord, and I actually do know that mission is biblical, we are supposed to share the faith. But because I don't do it, there's guilt within me. And actually, I avoid the topic. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about mission. I don't want to talk about evangelism. It's just a topic that we don't talk about. Or you have another view that says, I'm a committed Christian, but if I'm honest, I'm not comfortable about sharing the faith. Maybe it's a cultural thing. I'm just not comfortable about giving people what I believe. Some of us are there. Now you have two things. Some of us are spiritually unhealthy gospel locals. And some of us, we're not comfortable with sharing the faith. And that affects the mission in our city. Now the answer to that lies in our psalm this morning, Psalm 66, about spiritual renewal and mission. Let's look at this psalm together, Psalm 66, From verse, let's look at verse 1 to verse 5. Shout for joy all the earth, sing the glory of his name, give to him glorious praise, say to God how awesome are your deeds, so great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you, all the earth worship you and sings praises to you, they sing praises to your name, come and see what God has done, his awesome deeds towards the children of man. What we see here is a missional call. It's a global invitation. The nations are summoned to observe God's awesome deeds towards his people. And the the invitation is not just for those people to spectate, but it's for them to join in in praising God. It's a very missional psalm. All the earth, all the peoples come join in and worship God. Now, this is a a typical Old Testament missional call. In the Old Testament, the focus was for people to come and see God's people. Come and see these people who are set apart by their God, Yahweh. That was normal in the Old Testament. It was inward. It It was attractional. Come and see what God is doing with God's people. And in the New Testament, it's not just that. Although it is inward, but it's also outward. We invite them to come and see God's people, but we also go to them. But in our text this morning, the focus is on inward, attractional, come and see. And that's where I will stick with this morning. The call of these verses is that God is doing amazing things with his people. And people need to come and see that. But now, this assumes few things. Sorry. It assumes that there are good deeds happening within God's people. God is doing amazing things. It assumes that the community of God, the church, us here this morning, we are a compelling community. In fact, it assumes that we are an alternative community. That's why we can invite people in. Come, come and see something. Sorry. Okay. It assumes that we are a compelling community. I'm always a bit struck by, I don't know if maybe for some of us who you would walk into a CBD, you are walking in town, and someone would, you know, the guys who cut the hair on the streets, they'll actually look at your hair And then they will say, haircut, then they call you. They think you did it. They look at you first. And even even at the mall, you're walking at the mall, if there are people from the gym or something like that, they look at you, and then they'll say, there you go, you need this. They're looking at you and they're saying, there's something that you need from us. The call here is the, the community of faith has something for people out there. It's a compelling community. In a city filled with greed and exploitation, come and see people filled with generosity and the culture of honor. In a city filled with indifference and fear, come and see people filled with compassion and faith. In a city filled with hate and injustice, come and see people filled with love and justice an alternative community. I love how Eric Swenson puts it. He says, a church is called to be a community where the world can see what marriage, family life, business practices, work ethic, generosity, race relations, all of life looks like under the rule of Jesus. He continues to say, the local congregation Stands in the wider community of their neighborhood and nation, or our city. Not primarily as a promoter of social change, but itself as a foretaste of a different social order. I love what we're doing here this morning. Different churches, different backgrounds. It's a foretaste of revelation. All nations coming together to worship God. But it's not just for here. Us as a broader community, we should be a foretaste of a different social order. This is what we're inviting people to. Come and see the wonders of God among us. But it also assumes that we are worshipping people. You can see here, shout for joy. Say to God how awesome are your deeds. All the earth worship you. Sing, bow down. It assumes that we are worshipping people. We are praising people, all the earth is invited to come and join us in worship. Now for some of us, we actually don't know how to do with the psalms. The praising of God, shout for joy. You know, maybe some of us are conservative like that, it's just, we just don't know what to do with that. But sometimes it's because we hardly feel like this we hardly feel like shouting for joy to God. Praise and shout for joy is not part of our daily rhythms. It's church stuff. And even in church, it's for some people. Not radicals. It's not for all of us. C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflection, Reflection of the Psalms, he talks about a time in his life when he was a new Christian, when he actually struggled with this, the praise of God. You know, he thought it was everywhere, especially in the Psalms. Everything was about, come and praise God. Praise God that he deserves all the praise. And he said as a young Christian, he felt, this is a bit too much. He felt that God, he was feeling like he's a vain person begging for compliments. This is, this is C.S. Lewis, how he thought. But he says what he came to understand is that firstly, praise is part of our daily life. It's stuff that we do all the time. We praise. We praise things all the time. We praise people all the time. We are always inviting people to praise things with us. In fact, this is what social media is all about. I saw this this beautiful view. I take a picture. Come and see. I met someone. Oh my goodness. Come and see. Come praise with me. C.S. Lewis said, we do this all the time anyway. But then he says, what he came to also realize was that God has made praise as a means of channeling his grace towards us. He says, That in the process of praising God, that's actually where God communicates his presence and grace to his people. He says, at the center of worship, actually, God is the one who is giving. We are the one receiving. And it changed everything for him. Praise is a means of renewal for us. As much as it's a result of it, it's a cycle. When we are energized spiritually, we praise God, but also that act of praise renews us. When renewed people, and because of praise, we are renewed, and when we are renewed, we are actually confident to say to our city, Come and see. When we are energized, when we are renewed, it's a tool for mission. That's a, glo- that's a global invitation. This is an invitation to our city. Come and see what God has done for us. But number two, we see here a renewed community. A renewed community. I can imagine a heckler. You know, these people are singing, come and see what God has done for us. Imagine a heckler from the crowd saying, what, what has gone done for you? Why should we praise Him? Praise Him for what? In fact, there could be someone here who's not a Christian, who's saying that. I'm here, I see you guys singing, praising God. For what? Imagine someone saying that. And when someone asks you, what, God, what, what has God done? For, for some of us, and for most of us, when he talks about what, what is God, where where's the evidence of God? What is God, What has God done? Some of us, for some of us, we could point at creation. Look at what God has done. Look at look around you. Look at what God has done. We could take them to the Grand Canyon, wherever that, wherever that is. Just the, be- the beauty. I mean, I just I just see it in pictures. <laughs> look at this. What God has done. Take them to, I guess, Table Mountain. Take them to Bloomfontein. I'm sure you'll find something there. (laughs) Take them to... Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Take them to Pulukwane. You'll find something there. But we would be people who are saying, look at what God has done around. Look look at the creation. But this is not what the psalmist does here. You want to know what God has done? Look at verse 6. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the rivers on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves, sailor. He recalls what God has done for them as a community to rescue them. He recalls the great exodus of God's people from the Egypt's tyranny and slavery. Now if you are new to the Bible narrative, this is a big story in the Old Testament. The book of Exodus, the people of Israel who were under slavery in Egypt for many years and God miraculously rescued them by opening up the Red Sea so that they, they can cross over. The exodus became foundational in Israel history and narrative. God rescued us. They frequently recalled it whenever they thanked God. In fact, when you look at the Psalms, whenever, most of the time, when they are praising God, they recall the Exodus. It was a foundational event for them. In fact, one of the Old Testament scholars, Alec Motia, he says, if you ask an Israelite, those who were on their way to Canaan in those days, if you ask them... Who are you? Tell me your story. He said, this is probably what they will say. They will say, me and my people, we were in a foreign land under the sentence of death in bondage, but we took shelter under the blood of the lamb and our mediator led us out and we crossed over. Now we are on our way to the promised land. We are not there yet. He has given us his law as a community. He given us a tabernacle to live by grace and forgiveness. His presence is with us. He's going to stay with us till we get home. That would be the story of the Israelite. It's their narrative. Compared to everything God has done for them, That is what they always testify about God. The first thing that comes on top of their list is that God has rescued them. It's their gospel story. Everything about them permeates through this story. Now, for some of you, you can already tell that this story sounds familiar to our story. The Exodus story foreshadows our story. In fact, the book of Hebrews talks of Jesus as the greater Moses meaning that he has rescued us through a greater exodus by his death and resurrection. It's our story. And what the psalmist is showing us is that for a Christian, the greatest deed of God that should be on top of our list, on top of our lips, is the rescue of God from slavery of sin and death. The gospel story is our greatest story. It shapes our identity. It's our narrative. It it, it talks about the story that changed everything for us. But to be honest, I don't know, maybe it's just me. It's not how I view the gospel. I don't think it has sunk deep enough to the core of my identity. That this is my story. This is what defines me. This is my narrative. And I need renewal. And we need renewal. That God by his spirit would make these truths of the gospel run deep within us. From concept to reality. It's our narrative. It's our story. And to be honest, it's probably why some of us have have become gospel locals. The gospel, our gospel is too small. It doesn't touch certain areas of our lives. It hasn't touched our dinner tables. It hasn't touched our wallets. It hasn't touched how we we view work and how we work. It hasn't touched our budgets. It hasn't touched a lot of things in our lives. It's very small. I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones put it. He says, spiritual depression or unhappiness in the Christian life is very often due to our failure to realize the greatness of the gospel. Something that is merely a message of forgiveness. Others conceive of it as as only moral in nature. Still others see it as something good and beautiful. The truth of the matter is the gospel is the whole view of life. It is not partial or piecemeal, Consequently, the whole man must be involved in it. He says, it's the whole view of life. It's the whole view of life. That great story that starts in creation, where God created all things good, where sin enters and shatters everything, from our relation to God to our relationship with ourselves, and with creation. And that in that chaos... God comes with a plan, or God's plan is to redeem all that has been broken. He calls a people. He calls this person Abraham, that in Abraham, some people will be formed, and through these people, a savior king will come. 2,000 years ago, this king has come in the person of Jesus. He lives a perfect life that we should have lived. He died the death that we deserved. He rises again, and he calls us to this new life in him. This great story, our story. And this story should change everything. It even changes the way we view suffering. We've spoken about suffering this morning. It changes even the way we view suffering. Look at at verse 9 for me, 9 to 12. It says from verse 8, Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not left our feet slip. For you, O oh God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You you let men ride over our heads. You went through fire and through water. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out in the place of abundance. The psalmist is saying. Praise God, for he renews us, particularly in tough times. In tough times. And our story to the city, what we are inviting people to, is not glossed in glamour. It's a real story. This is what what God is doing in us. He's renewing us, even in suffering. It's a Christian life. It's a Christian experience. And it'd be naive of me, even this morning, to think as we are gathered here this morning, there are no people here who are going through absolute agony. People who are, who are Christians, but they feel like they, they're just clinging with their fingertips. Things are falling apart. The list mentioned here is a painful experience but it's a human experience. It says he did not let our feet slip. Sometimes we feel like we're slipping off. He says, you brought us out. You tested us. You tried us as Silvice tried. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. Sometimes it feels like that for some of us. We went through fire and through water. The normal Christian life is fractured because of this world we live in. Fractured world. There are aches and and, and pains and despairs that go alongside some of the joys and achievements. There are people here this morning who are going through tough marriages. There are people here this morning who've been looking for jobs in the point of despair. There are people here this morning who've been hurt by others, who've been hurt by the church. There are people here this morning fighting illness, heartbroken, lonely. There are people here this morning going through what feels like burdens on their backs. And here's the truth. The good things we enjoy under God's fatherly care? Or should I say the good things we enjoy are under God's fatherly care? But at the same time, the hard things we endure are under God's fatherly care. He says he brought us out. He brought us out. He preserves us, it says in other translations. Through it all. That means our sufferings, they're never outside God's redeeming hand. In fact, I dare say, I dare say, that it's part of the renewal process. I think One said that. You have tried us as silver is tried. The word there is, is refined us. You have refined us as silver. The process of refinement, the process of transformation and renewal. Yet you brought us out into a place of abundance, a place of shalom. This was the testimony of the Israelites. God brought them to the promised land, that place of shalom. And for us, we are still looking forward to that. Where there will be no pain, there will be no suffering. And Paul says, what awaits us there is nothing compared to the sufferings we go through now. And you know what's comforting about the gospel, especially in the sufferings we face, what we see in this text, was comforting, is that our Lord Jesus himself, he can sing this psalm with us. Jesus himself can attest to these words. He can say, Father, you tested me and tried me like silver. Jesus can say, Father, you laid a crushing burden over my back. In fact, he had the most crushing burden over his back. The wrath of God poured out on him. He can say, I went through fires and waters. In fact, he went through much more. He went through death. And he can say, you brought me out to a place of shalom, the glorious resurrection and ascension. He can sing this with us. That's how the gospel comforts us. Our priest, the Lord Jesus, he can empathize with us. This is the gospel that carries us in suffering. This is how we can say to the city, come and see. We don't gloss all of our mess and our suffering, but we have hope. We are the savior who leads us. Come and see. This is how we tell our story collectively as a community. This is how we we experience renewal collectively as a community. But it starts with personal renewal. That's my third point personal renewal. Look at verse 13. It shifts, the whole thing shifts. He's been talking about us, how you did this for us and everything. But in verse 13, it gets, it gets personal. I will come into your house with burnt offering. I will perform my vows to you that my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of certain animals with the smoke of, sacrifice of, of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all who fear God. I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and, I, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished the, cherished the iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be to God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Come and hear what he has done for my soul. It all comes down to that. It's almost like you see here the the choir singing all of this psalm. And then in this part, it's like a solo. The soloist comes in and sings on their own. This is what God has done for me. Almost like the testimonies we've heard earlier. This is personal. Personal renewal. All comes down to personal renewal. I imagine this person, like in a temple with his friends, and all the money he has spent on these offerings. You can see he's, he's, he's offering all of these things: the rams, the bulls, the goats. They must have cost him a fortune. I can imagine in this temple, in the temple, his friends saying, "Buddy, come down. This is too much." Lots of sacrifices there, bud. It's a lot. Imagine him saying, You guys don't understand. If only you knew what the Lord has done for my soul. It's a personal testimony. He's saying, I struggled with sin. Sometimes I feel like the Lord should not have anything to do with me. He should not listen to me. But when I cried out to him, he listens. He attends to my prayers. He does not reject me. He does not remove his covenant love for me. Bless be to God. This is what he's saying. He's saying, "My offerings can never be too much. I want to offer the fattest ram. If there wasn't any sacrifice worth more than these bulls and ram, I would give. If there was a sacrifice worthy enough. I would give if only our friend knew that there will be a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that he doesn't have to give, a sacrifice given for him, a sacrifice given for him, which is what we have received. Friends, how I wish each and every one of us here have a personal song. renewal. This is what God has done for my soul. You ask me about why I'm being generous? Why I want churches to be planted in this city? Why I'm willing to change my life and be uncomfortable and do this and do that and change my budget and do all, you want to know all of that? This is what God has done for my soul. He has rescued me. He has not rejected my prayers. He has kept his covenant love towards me. And this is what we have for our city. It starts personal. And it comes to our community. And we can say, come and see what the Lord is doing for us. We can say to our friends and our families, come and see what the Lord has done for me. Collectively, we can say, come and see what the Lord has done for me. Let me land here. I want to believe that we all want this renewal. We want to be revived. We don't want to be gospel locals. We want God to work in us personally and corporately for the good of us and for the good of the city. We want that. And let's ask God for that. Let's pray, let's ask God to do that for our lives, to renew us. We are in different places. Some of us are suffering. Some of us are feeling like we can't go on. But let's ask God to renew us. Let's let's ask God to, to help us to really look at the gospel in fresh eyes. That he will make the gospel big again. That will affect everything in our lives. That will will it, become an identity and our story. Let us trust him in hard times. Let us trust that he's renewing us even in those times. And let us be extravagant in our worship, however it may look like. It may look like generosity. It may look like serving one another. It may look like different ways. But like, let us be generous in all of that. Because we have a good story to tell. God has rescued us. And we can invite the whole city to come and see. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is, is good to us. Father, we do acknowledge that there may be so many things happening with different people here this morning. People who have felt like they are drifting away. People who have felt like there's too many burdens on their backs. Father, I do pray that by your spirit, you may draw near to those people. By your spirit, you may renew them into full health again that the gospel will be fresh in their lives. Father, I pray for all of us, I pray for different churches here this morning, that you would do a work in them for the good of those churches and for the good of the city of Pretoria. Father, how I pray that throughout even this gathering, more churches will be planted, more people will be drawn to you. Renew us, we pray. Renew us this morning by your spirit.